Welcome to Lunch and Unlearn. In today's episode, we discuss terminology and the importance of creating a common language and understanding for our conversations moving forward. Share with you a favorite thought leader who we are following on social media and leave you with a call to action to expand your understanding of language this week. So let's grab some lunch and get ready to unlearn together. In the midst of a pandemic, a black revolution and a white awakening are happening. Diversity, equity, and inclusion educators, Brianna Clover and Dr. Jessica Petty, create brave spaces for candid conversations on race equity, focusing specifically on its intersection with ableism, sexism, sexual orientation, and gender identity, all from the unique perspective of a black woman and a white woman. I'm Dr. Jessica Petty. And I'm Brianna Clover. In today's episode, we want to share with you the top 20 terms you will hear us use on the Lunch and Unlearn podcast. Because we value the power of words to shape conversations and our understanding of the complex topics we will be tackling together, we are starting with the basics. Jess, I would love to intentionally start in a place that may surprise you because it's not a word that we use a ton, but I think the impact of its meaning comes up again and again. And that word is binary. Hmm. Okay. Binary is an either or construct presenting only two options, which are seen as polar opposites. For example, male, female, young, old, gay, straight, or good, bad. Uh, Unfortunately or fortunately, that's just not how the world always operates. It's not always on a binary, an either or construct. And I'll give the example of the good, bad binary when it comes to racism is, well, I'm a good person, therefore I'm not racist, or only bad people are racist. It just leaves off the table that opportunity to explore and to learn that gray area. I totally understand why you're starting there because our brains are wired to want to assign a label to something. And so that black and white thinking is something that we all fall into very easily. So I love that you're starting there. I think that's great. So another word uh, that I would like to define and that I actually get people that will ask me this quite often is how do you define diversity? A very quick sort of soundbite that I would share is that basically it's the variety of observable and unobservable similarities and differences among people. And I use both of those terms purposefully. So observable is more of the sort of surface level diversity. Those are things we can see. They're physical characteristics such as race, age, um, a person's ethnicity, physical abilities, things like that. That's on the surface. The unobservable is more of the deep level diversity. So these are some could be our goals, our values, our personalities, our decision making styles, uh, the level of knowledge that we have, our abilities and even our attitudes. So it's a clear distinction between the two, but it has to go together. So just having surface level diversity does not truly mean that you are fully achieving a diverse state. And I think that probably is a great transition into inclusion, especially when we think about the workplace, diversity inclusion is a common term. Mm-hmm. So just to, to do a simple definition of inclusion is it's an environment in which all individuals are treated fairly and respectfully, in which majority members value efforts to increase minority representation and have equal access to op- opportunities and resources. And I love that you connected those two words, diversity and inclusion. We are starting to see more people add in the E to the DNI. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are two terms that I often hear used interchangeably and sometimes not correctly in this space. So that is equality 
and equity. Mm. And um, while they have some similarities, they are distinctly different. So equality is basically treating everybody the same. Um, it's sort of that you know schoolyard mentality of everybody is treated fairly. Everybody gets an award. Everybody gets the ribbon. So it's a level playing field. Mm-hmm. Equity refers to fairness and equality in the outcomes. So not just having the same opportunities, but being able to reach the same goal or to be able to reach the same point in life. So it's not just in support or in opportunity, but it really could be instead of everything is fair, maybe somebody does get something more than someone else or something different because that's what they need to achieve the same outcomes. That's a really important distinction there. It's, you know, equality is the end goal, but equity is a means to achieving equality. So I love how you how you differentiated those two. I often think of, you know, when we say everybody has access, um, you know, so if you picture a stairwell and you say, well, everybody in this organization can use this stairwell. Well, if I'm in a wheelchair, that stairwell doesn't do me any good. So mm-hmm. Equality is having access to the stairwell. Equity is also providing a ramp or an elevator so that somebody with a different need can reach the same level of the building. Yeah, that's a perfect analogy. So I want to cover prejudice and discrimination. So prejudice is a learned prejudgment about members of social groups to which we don't belong. And it's based on limited knowledge or experience with the group. And that's often because of a lack of proximity. Um, In other words, it's simplistic judgments and assumptions that are made and projected onto everyone from that group. And just, I think because it's so connected is discrimination is when you act on that prejudice. Mm -hmm. And then we have intersectional or intersectionality. And I think this is a term that is more commonly used, but I'm not quite sure that we all understand exactly what that means and, and are able to apply it when we're looking critically at the intersection of different oppressions. So a simple definition is the understanding that we simultaneously occupy multiple social positions and that these positions do not cancel each other out. They interact in complex ways that must be explored and understood. So if I use myself as an example, I am a African-American and I am also a woman. So Mm -hmm. I have different experiences where those two things intersect than, say, a woman who identifies as white. Like me. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. And that's a term that we are going to use and we do use constantly um, because it is so important when we talk about creating the real picture of what's happening for an individual, for an organization, for a culture, things like that. There's so many different dynamics that, that you have to take into account. So another term that I'd like to share is patriarchy. And I, I feel that we have sort of shied away from using this word as much as we should. And in turn, we're just saying white men mm-hmm. and, and we're replacing those two things. But really, we should be using this term patriarchy more often. So basically, it is, it's the belief in the inherent superiority of men and male norms and that that is organized into our society. So our society is based on the belief that men hold a higher position and worth than women and other people. And while white men do um, directly benefit from this, we'd have to be very careful about language there. So I prefer to talk about patriarchy more than identifying an entire race of people Mm. to address this phenomenon that happens. Thanks for saying that, because we talk a lot about how language is so important and the power of language. So that's a really good distinction. 
The next word is meritocracy, and it is the ideology that everyone succeeds on their own efforts or merit. So in a meritocracy, each each individual earns what they have through their own talent and skills, and no one has more advantage than anyone else. And I like to also refer, if you've heard of the old adage, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's the idea that everyone has the, the same access um, and ability to do that. And that is definitely a very U.S.-centered um, mm-hmm. philosophy as well. Yep. So positionality is something that I like to talk about, and it's something that I personally try to think about as much as possible when I'm interacting with others. And basically, it's just the recognition of where you stand in relation to others within society and understanding that that shapes how you see things. It also shapes what you can't see because it's not your experience. Mm -hmm. And it impacts how you understand the world and how you form opinions about things like what is fair and what do other people need and how will you address inequities that you recognize. So just that sort of personal awareness of your position and then evaluating how does that impact others? I find myself constantly reminding myself of that as I kind of move through the world in doing this work. Yeah. The next one is ally or allyship. And simply it's one that leverages their privilege to help others that are underrepresented. Mm -hmm. And we see allyship in many forms. It could be a mentor. It could be a sponsor. We see that in the corporate space a lot, a sponsor, an advocate, a coach, or a challenger. And I think we all, based on our positionality, have different ways that we can be allies to show up for others that are underrepresented given the spaces that we work, worship, operate in. And I think that positionality directly uh, relates to that because when you understand your own personal position, it helps you become a better ally. Exactly. Yeah. So there's um, something that that we are seeing maybe quite a bit of right now. um, And The term is performative allyship. Mm -hmm. So it is basically the practice of using your words or maybe even your social media posts to promote your own individual virtue by showing, you know, that you had this really strong moral compass, you know, and that you stand up for injustice, but you're, you're just actually sort of saying, Hey, look at me. I'm on the, the, when we go back to that word binary, I'm on the good side of this. Um, I'm not one of those bad people that you're talking about, but it doesn't really move beyond those words or social media posts or gestures. And it's really just, it's a performance that's intended to impact whoever your audience is. That's a good one. And I think it's important too, to think about it could be it's under the good intentions, right? It's just right. good intentions without the action behind it and without the understanding of how those good intentions could actually cause further harm or further damage if they aren't followed up by actions. I think that's such a great way to think about it. Yeah. The next one I want to talk about is white supremacy. Mm, that's and, a heavy one. Yeah, it is. We could have a whole episode on this. Yeah. Uh, the academic term used, uh, is, so it's often used in academic spaces as well, is to capture the all-encompassing dimensions of white privilege, dominance, and assumed superiority in mainstream society. And maybe I probably should just briefly touch on white privilege. Mm-hmm. That isn't saying that because you're a white person that you don't have hardships, but what it is is based on your positionality in a society that with the ideology of white supremacy, further advantages white people at the disadvantage of black people 
that is a privilege that a white person has in a society that disadvantages black people. Does that make sense? Is that a clear? Because it's complex, but it's hard to break it down simply sometimes. It does. And it's a very heavy word. And I think it's a word that people going back to that good, bad sort of labeling, you know, Mm -hmm. people don't, they don't feel comfortable with this word because it, it obviously has a very negative connotation, but the reality is, is that it exists, even if we ignore it or pretend that it's not there, it is. And so we have to push past that uncomfortable feeling. We have to challenge the notion, you know, that we have to be either on the good or the bad side of this and acknowledge the existence so that we can examine it and then we can change it. And maybe I should just put a plug to that whenever we use in this brave space, the term white privilege, we aren't using it to instill guilt. We're using it as a way to better understand and think critically about the society that all of us have grown up in that disadvantages certain groups of people. So maybe I should just sum up too. So white supremacy is a term that's used to capture the all-encompassing dimensions of white privilege, dominance, and assumed superiority in mainstream society And these dimensions, while complex, include ideological, institutional, social, cultural, historical, political, and even interpersonal. So moving on to another heavy term, let's talk about racism. (laughs) So in the United States and Canada, racism basically refers to white racial and cultural prejudice, uh, also discrimination. It's supported by institutional power and authority. It's used to the advantage of white people. And then to your point, the direct disadvantage of people of color. It includes so much um, economic systems, political systems, social, institutional actions. And they are beliefs that are perpetuating an unequal distribution of privilege, resources, and power directly between white people and people of color. And it's It's a heavy one as well. And it, as a white person, I could say none of us (laughs) want to be labeled as a racist, right? It feels incredibly uncomfortable, but the reality is based on the way that we are raised and socialized, we all have this embedded in our DNA and we can ignore it. Um, that's certainly an option and lots of people do that. But the only way that we're going to change it is to shine a light on it and start to recognize it and mm-hmm. then unlearn uh, these things that we've been taught so that we can reframe how we move forward. Well said. Well said. Anti-racism. So anti-racism is a framework for ending racism that goes beyond tolerating or celebrating racial diversity, which we often kind of see traditional DNI efforts is celebrating racial diversity and it addresses racism as a system of unequal institutional power between white people and people of color. So if we go back to your definition of racism, understanding that it's, of course, there's an individual layer to that, but it's also systemic. So anti-racism is going beyond just the individual level of, of the need for diversity or dismantling of racism and really addresses it at a system level. And I think too, it's important that this is a journey, not a destination. So races, race, our country was built on this hierarchical power where white dominated. So I'm not quite sure the goal of us should be to completely dismantle it, but to, to recognize our role in 
perpetuating it so that we can at an individual and influence at a systemic level, chipping away, if you will, at racism. I'm curious your thoughts on that too, Jess. Yeah, it makes sense. And I think it's also important to point out that being racist and being anti-racist are not they're not just the opposites of each other, mm-hmm. right? Point. Because you can be neutral on the subject and not participate in anti-racist work and still be perpetuating racism, even if you feel that you're not doing anything that is overtly racist. So anti-racist really is about the work and not just about... Um, it's it's not just about the work, it's the intentionality. Right, like right. You could, you could be racist one day, and you could be anti-racist the next day. It's not like something that you get this title and then that is, then you keep it. Once you get it, you keep it. Yeah. It's really yeah. a combination of the work and the intentionality. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. So shifting gears, um, I'd like to talk about a term that uh, is being used more often, but maybe not be completely clear to people. So the terminology is ableism. And You know, we've sort of moved from where we talked about, you know, people with disabilities. Um, This moves us a little further and 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 really talks about the oppression of people with perceived disabilities. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to say, because if you are able bodied, you can make judgments about people. So Mm -hmm. ableism is based on the assumption that there is a physical or intellectual standard for human beings and that this is the only one that's accepted as normal. So any other variation that we see in the human body from that would be considered abnormal or deviant or inherently inferior. And this plays out again, much like, you know, you were talking about with racism and the structures around us and they can be hidden. It can also be physical architecture of structures. It can be in our policies at school where we separate children who are considered not able-bodied from the rest of the population. It can be legal segregation. We see this in the legalization of pay discrepancy. So basically, if you're labeled as a person with disabilities, it's legal for you to receive a lower level of pay than someone else for the same job. So the term ableism pulls that um, conversation away from looking at the population that we were trying to say is living with disabilities and is really shining the light on the impact of able-bodied people and, and how they impact others. I think that that's just a beautifully way to, beautiful way to articulate that and very helpful. So now that we're on kind of the topic around other forms of oppression, the next one I want to talk about is classism. And classism is the systemic oppression of poor and working people by those who control resources. And those resources include jobs, wages, education, housing, food, services, medicine, and even cultural definitions. There are economic, political, and cultural dimensions to class oppression. And I think when we talk too about intersectionality and understanding the intersection of race and class, for instance, or ability physical, mental ability, and classism, that's where uh, I think we we need to pay closer attention and really an intentional effort on on unpacking and discussing. I agree. And it's something that I know I don't fully understand as, as much as I would like to. So I'm excited to explore some of those topics with you. Yeah, me too. 
So number 20, <laughs> we're almost <laughs> at the end here. So let's talk about sexism. And basically the definition of sexism is it's the systematic oppression of women by men. It's based on the belief that men are inherently superior to women. And like all of the other forms of oppression that we've already talked about, it, it includes you know, economic oppression, political. Um, we still see this very clearly in our political system with the underrepresentation of women. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in our, in our social interactions. It's in our workplaces. And it impacts the distribution of privileges and resources, resources such as pay mm-hmm. and, and obviously power. And so when we think about sexism and the impact that it has, this is where I'm so excited for us to be doing this work together. Because as we talked about earlier with intersectionality, there's so many different things that impact these conversations. And I'm excited that we've had the opportunity to lay the groundwork for this foundation so that we can move forward in our unlearning together. I think this is a great start and I hope our listeners learned something. I know I have. I feel like this was just a really great review for me too. So thank you, Jess, for sharing this brave space with me today. We are learning so much from others that in each episode, we want to feature a thought leader that is impacting us. And today that is Ibram X. Kendi. Ibram is a New York Times bestselling author of How to Be an Anti-Racist, Stamped from the Beginning, and Anti-Racist Baby. He's also a professor at Boston University and the director of the Anti-Racist Research and Policy Center at American University. You can find him at his personal website, ibramxkendi.com. You can also follow him on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. After listening to this episode, whether on your own or with your work teams, family, or friends, we'd like to leave you with a suggestion to explore this week there was specific terminology that we discussed that was new or unclear to you, do your own additional research to further explore the term and broaden your understanding of the concept. For instance, if you are new to the term systemic racism, how can you think critically about the spaces you live, work, or even worship in and identify ways systemic racism is hidden from your view? As we embark on this journey of unlearning, we are so thankful that you're here. We are excited to continue unpacking this conversation around race equity and intersectionality together. Stay connected with us. Visit our website at lunchandunlearn.com and subscribe to our newsletter. You can also follow us on Instagram at lunchandunlearn and Facebook at lunchandunlearn. We hope you'll grab lunch with us again and join us for more brave conversations next time.